Let's uh, take our Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Haggai once again, near the end of the Old Testament. It's a sad day, so I don't see my water bottle under here. Oh, you know what? There's still a little bit left. I was, I was about to resort to this. It's still there. You never know, there may come a day. <laughs> we'll see. We've been in the book of Haggai now for several weeks. Really, this, this book is made up of several different prophecies that were recorded um, by, the, by the prophet and uh, specific messages that he had given uh, to the nation of Israel, specifically that remnant that had returned to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the temple. If you remember what's going on there, uh, there was a time that they had gone back to Jerusalem with great excitement uh, to begin rebuilding the temple, and they laid the foundation for that temple. And, uh, and then, basically, due to some external circumstances, which actually we'll look at a little bit tonight, but uh, due to some things, discouragement from within, but then also uh, some oppression from without, they ceased building. And uh, for a number of years, quite a few years, 15, 16 years, some time went by and nothing was done to build upon that foundation that had been laid. And Haggai was sent there to, to begin preaching to the people, to stir them up, that, that they would begin serving the Lord again in this way, that they would uh, commit their hands to the work that they had, had committed to when they came back to Jerusalem. And the, the first three prophecies were directed at these people, this remnant of God's people, encouraging them to do the work. But tonight we're going to pick it up in the, the last of the prophecies that we read in the book of Haggai here in chapter 2 in verse number 20. And if you would stand with me for the reading of the scripture, we're going to read verses 20 through 23 tonight and finish out the book. It says here in verse number 20, and again, the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the 4 and 20th day of the month, saying... Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the, uh, the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, Will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. I want to preach to you tonight a personal message of encouragement. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, tonight I just ask, Lord, once again, that as we open your word tonight, that you would give us understanding, that you would help us to grasp the message of these words that we read here tonight and study this, but Lord, also not only to, to have an intellectual understanding, but Lord, would you give us spiritual understanding that we might discern how these things might apply to us and how we can uh, live here even in these days where there is so much opposition and resistance to the truth and, and those who would serve you. Lord, I pray that you would just encourage the hearts of your people tonight. And Lord, put within us a desire to be faithful 
unto the end. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, as I mentioned, this is the final prophecy that's recorded here in the book of Haggai. These four verses that we read, and, and maybe you read that and, and thought, boy, there's not a whole lot there uh, to really dig into and get out of that. And so uh, maybe you're thinking that you're going to get out of here early tonight and you would be mistaken. Um, because actually there is a lot here that the Lord is, is dealing with here. And, and specifically, I want you to notice that this, this prophecy is a little bit different than the previous three because the previous uh, uh, prophecies were either directed to all the people, specifically to Zerubbabel and Joshua and then the people, or they were directed, for instance, to the, uh, to the priests, the, one who had, the ones who had seen the, uh, the first temple. That one uh, was, was the second prophecy that was directed to those that had seen the first uh, temple there, but this one here has a different address. If you look at verse number 20, it says, Again, the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month. Now the previous prophecy, according to verse number 10, was at the, on the same day, in the four and twentieth day of the ninth month. And so uh, th this is, this is the, a message that the Lord had given to Haggai, to give to the people, and then he said, okay, now there's a message that goes not just to the people, but this one goes to Zerubbabel specifically. Verse number 21, speak, unto, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, and then in verse number 23, it says, in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant. So this is a message that is directed to the governor, the leader of the people. And that really is the first thing I want to point out to you is the personal direction of this prophecy. It was directed specifically at Zerubbabel. He was the leader of the movement. Zerubbabel was the one that the Lord had appointed to lead his people in the rebuilding of the temple. He was the leader and God was addressing him directly. Now this is a message of encouragement. It's a message of just kind of a strengthening of the hands as he's uh, trying to encourage Zerubbabel to just go forward and press on and to be faithful. And I think it's important for us to recognize that sometimes the leaders get discouraged and have a need to be encouraged. They have a need to sense that the Lord is with them and, and blessing them and helping them. We heard a tremendous message this morning about the shepherd and the sheep and, and the relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and his people, but also the relationship that he has designed between a pastor and the people of the Lord and, and the oversight that is there in that passage of Scripture, though, that we looked at in 1 Peter 5 that is specifically addressed to the elders that were among them. He famously says in verse number 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. In other words, when he was addressing this group of, of leaders, of elders, of shepherds, if you will, he was addressing them and saying, I know that you have a lot of cares. You have a lot of burdens. And you need to learn to take those cares to the Lord. And sometimes those who are, who are leading, you know, they bear some pretty heavy burdens. I can tell you that pastors carry some pretty heavy burdens on their shoulders. They carry the load of the burdens of the people that they lead, that they pray for, that they, that they teach, they try and help. And, and so often you invest in people and pour yourself into people and, and, and yet you see them oftentimes making decisions that, that, that you believe are not the, what God would have for them. And, and it's, it's a burden sometimes. 
There are burdens. Husbands, you understand this as you carry the burdens for, uh, for your wife and your children and, and, and lead them. Parents in general understand what it is to carry those burdens for our children, don't we? And those of you who have grown children probably understand this even more so as you watch them and, and, and going through life, you don't really have the opportunity to control what's going on in their lives. You just kind of have to watch and try to encourage them. But you've got, you got burdens you carry. And sometimes leaders just sense that. They sense the weight of this. The entire purpose of this book is because the people in general had been discouraged. And I, and I just want you to know, this is not being critical in any way, but it's one thing to be a discouraged group of people. It's one thing to be a discouraged church. It's another thing to try and lead a discouraged church. <laughs> and this man, this governor, Zerubbabel, trying to do the right thing, was trying to lead a people that had been discouraged for, for, for a decade and a half or more from doing the work of the Lord. And no doubt there were burdens that he carried. And so the Lord addresses him in this, in this place and he says, he, he kind of turns aside for a moment and he says, okay, I have dealt with the people, but Zerubbabel, I want to take a moment and just deal with you. I'm so thankful that we have a God that doesn't only care about us corporately, but cares for us individually. That the Lord is willing to, 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 to give a message to his people. I, I have been praying all week long that the Lord would today speak to his people, to speak to the church, to work in our midst. And, and this is a prayer that I pray constantly, Lord, work among us and, 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 and speak to our hearts and draw us unto yourself. But I also pray that not only would the Lord work in a corporate sense among us, but that each of us individually would receive what God has for us. That, and I believe that. I believe that God has brought us here not just to worship corporately and not just to, to, to grow as, as a church body and church family together, though that is part of it. But I believe that he's brought each one of you here individually, specifically, because there is something that he wants to do in your life. And I hope that you've come with that heart. Lord, speak to me and talk to me through your word. And, and, and don't let me just sit in the pew and think that so-and-so needs this or, or that person across the, the room needs it, but, but help me to take your word and apply it to my life. God deals with us on an individual level, and so often he strengthens us and he encourages us in a moment in which we are discouraged. I don't know this for a fact, but I just can't help but think that Maybe the, the people had been encouraged by what the Lord was doing and, and, and especially the previous prophecy as, as he was promising that the, that the blessings were going to start flowing because of their obedience and he was promising them blessing and maybe the, the, the Lord had stirred up the hearts of the people and encouraged them but maybe Zerubbabel was kind of sitting over there a little bit beat down. Just not quite up to speed and on board yet. And it's like the Lord takes him aside and puts his arm around him and just encourages him for a moment. I'm so thankful for the Lord's care in each of our lives individually, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I want you to know tonight that God does care about you. He cares about you individually. He cares about you when no one else does. In fact, if you would take your Bible and go to the book of 2 Timothy... 2 Timothy and, and chapter number 4. When it seems that no one else cares or it seems that you're all alone, I want you to know that you have a God 
that cares about you and is there with you. If you're a child of God, you are never truly alone. So often we can feel all alone. We can feel like we're on our own and the struggles that we're facing and the battles that we're fighting are all, uh, we're doing so all by ourselves, but a child of God is never truly alone. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 16, Paul says here to Timothy, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. You know what he's saying? When The first time I was put on trial, the first time that I faced death for preaching the gospel, the, my first answer, no one was there standing with me. They all forsook me. I, I was all alone. Kind of reminds me of Jesus. <laughs> Everyone forsook him and fled. All his disciples, even the ones that promised they'd never leave him, that they'd never give up, they all forsook him and fled. And he was left alone. And Paul said, I know what it's like to be alone. I know what it's like to be the only one in that place that's standing for truth. I know what it's like to face persecution and death all by myself. I didn't have brothers that were standing there behind me and saying, hey, we're with you and we're praying for you and we're encouraging you. No, they all forsook me. And then he graciously says, I pray God that it might not be laid to their charge. In other words, I pray that the Lord will forgive them for their ignorance because they really abandoned me and left me. But I want you to notice in verse number 17, he says, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. When I felt like I was all alone because every earthly help had left, it was then that I learned that God was with me. The Lord himself stood with me. And I just want you to know, I love standing up with God's people. And I, I love having brothers and sisters in Christ that we can link arms and serve God together. But there's no one that I would rather is standing with me in a time of trial more than the Lord Jesus. And he was there with Paul and his presence was made known to him in a time of discouragement. And friend, tonight, if, you, if you're here, you're discouraged, you're carrying some burdens, and maybe you feel all alone, I just want you to know, you're not alone. Just look up, and you'll find that the Lord is there with you, and He'll strengthen you and encourage you and help you in these times. And then He said here, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me for a reason. He says, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear... And then he says something interesting, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I want you to, to grasp what he's saying here. Here's what he says. I know what it's like to feel all alone, but I also know what it's like to experience the presence of God when no one else is there. And now I am confident that he's able to keep me and take care of me and preserve me because he has a purpose for me. Folks, I hope that you'll get to that place. I hope that we, we each can get to that place where even when we feel maybe a little bit down, a little bit defeated, a little bit discouraged, maybe we have that Elijah syndrome where we say there's no one else, I'm the only one that's left. If you get to that point, look up and look to the Lord and start experiencing his presence in your life. And you'll find that your confidence in him grows. 
The Bible says in the, in the book of Romans chapter 4, it says that, of course, the trial of our faith, we know worketh patience, right? But it also says to us that patience worketh experience and experience hope. In other words, when, when I've been through a trial and the Lord has worked patience in my life, I've, I've got some experience. I, I, I've been down this road before. I can look back, and I can look back and see the hand of the Lord preserving me and protecting me and strengthening me and helping me in a time of discouragement. And that experience works great hope in my heart because I know that God can take care of me. So the Lord turns to Zerubbabel and begins to encourage him in a time of discouragement. And this prophecy had a personal direction. It was directed specifically at Zerubbabel. Oh, that God would take even this message tonight and direct it personally in your life and in my life. There was a personal direction. But then we also see as we look into this prophecy that there was a promised day. He said in verse 21, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and listen to this, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother." You know what he's telling Zerubbabel here? There is a better day coming. You see, Zerubbabel and, and, and the people of Israel, this remnant, had been facing fierce opposition from those who denied the Lord and, and, and the heathen, the pagan that were all around them. They were facing fierce opposition. All they wanted to do was build a temple so that they could worship their God. They weren't trying to, to, to cause some kind of sedition. They weren't trying to uh, overthrow any kind of a kingdom. They just wanted to build a temple, a place where they could worship the Lord their God. And in, in just trying to be obedient to the Lord, they faced all kinds of threats and persecutions and tribulations. And folks, i got to tell you, that had to be discouraging. But the Lord is saying to him, to Zerubbabel here, there is a better day coming. There's a day that all those that oppose you today, they're going to be overthrown. And, and, and by the way, this has yet to be fulfilled. We today are still awaiting the day that the kingdoms of the heathen are overthrown. But there is coming a day where the Lord is going to set up his throne in Jerusalem and he's going to rule and reign from that place. And the, the thrones and the kingdoms of the heathen are going to be put down. And that ought to be an encouragement to us. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. There's a better day coming. No matter what you're facing today, you can be sure that there is a better day coming. I want you to go back, if you would, hold your place here, but go back to the book of Ezra. And, and we're going to read really exactly what it was. Ezra chapter 4, we're going to read some of the things that these wicked people were doing to try to discourage and, and weaken the hands of the people and discourage them from doing the work of the Lord. What exactly was it that they were facing? What was the opposition that the Jews were facing? Well, let's look in Ezra chapter 4 and verse number 1. It says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard 
that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel. Then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus the king of Persia hath commanded us. And so the first thing that they did, these adversaries, these enemies, the first thing they did was they tried to infiltrate. They tried to come in among the Israelites under this, this idea, hey, we, we just want to worship God with you. You know, we're not Jews by birth, but, but we, we seek after the Lord, and, and we want to sacrifice to Him, and so let us help you. And folks, I, I just have to say, the, uh, the tricks of the devil, they've always been the same. <laughs> we live in different times, you know. We live thousands of years later, but it's the same old tricks. I mean, we're still dealing with wolves in sheep's clothing, Sometimes that come in and try to infiltrate. And Paul warned the Ephesian church about that. That after his departing, grievous wolves would enter in among them, not sparing the flock. And so they tried to infiltrate, but Zerubbabel and, and Joshua apparently had the wisdom and the discernment to say, No, you don't have any part in this. Stay out of the way. We're going to do what God led us to do. And again, just another reason... That God has appointed leaders to try and, and be discerning and, and, and to try and protect the flock, as we heard this morning. And that's what they did. And so they, they rejected their attempt to infiltrate, but then look at verse number 4. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. They said, if we can't infiltrate, if we can't come in and try to stop this work from the inside, we're just going to attack them from without. We're going to weaken their hands, we're going to oppose what they're doing, and we're going to trouble them at every turn. And then look at verse number 5, and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So you wonder, maybe you had in your mind this idea, you know, the people were building the temple, they laid the foundation, then they got discouraged, they just quit, and they just went about life as usual, nothing really changed. But the reality was that whole time that they weren't building the temple, there was resistance and opposition to the work of God. Not only were they weren't even content to stop the work of the Lord, but they were going to make sure that it didn't start again. And they hired counselors. I mean, these were professional troublemakers. <laughs> they were hired to come and, and, and to, to weaken the hands of the people and to frustrate their work and to discourage them. They must have felt like they had resistance and opposition at every turn. Have you ever felt like that? Boy, I just want to do what's right. I, I just want to be obedient to the Lord, but it just seems like everything I do, that I, I'm under attack. 
If I'm not under attack from people, it's, it's just the devil that's on my case all the time and discouraging me. Remember, these were the adversaries of Judah. And, and I believe that we read also in 1 Peter 5 that we have an adversary, don't we? Our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And sometimes the opposition does come from the heathen of the world. And it seems like more and more society is against uh, uh, those who would believe the Bible and seek to be obedient to the Word of God and, and seek to please the Lord. And, and we can feel that kind of outward pressure and attack. But sometimes, friends, the, the adversary, I, I mean, he can just come in and, and it's, it's in the middle of the night sometimes and it's just in our dark days that it seems like he's discouraging us and he's weakening our hands and, 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 and beating us down. These people were discouraged and they were beat up. But the Lord is reminding Zerubbabel that all of this that you're facing, all the discouragement, all of the opposition, it is temporary. And there is coming a day when all of that's going to be behind you. But folks, I look forward to that day. I look forward to the day that we no longer have to deal with the struggles and difficulties that we face in this life. And if you feel like you're facing opposition to your faith or adherence to the word of God, I want you to know that it is real. You're not imagining something. There is resistance and you have an enemy. In fact, we have many enemies because there are many enemies of the cross of Christ. But while it is real, it is also temporary. Our light affliction is but for a moment. And the Lord is reminding Zerubbabel, there's coming a day when I'm going to shake things up. <laughs> I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, and I'm going to overthrow these, these kingdoms and, and destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. And, and those, when it feels like you're, you're fighting a losing battle, just know you're on the winning side. So there's a personal direction to the prophecy, and then it speaks of a promised day but then he, he, he goes on to describe to Zerubbabel that there will be a position of dignity. Notice he says in verse number 23, In that day, the day that is yet to come, in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, servant, or saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. You know what he's saying here? This is a promise to Zerubbabel, specifically to this man, this is his promise. The work that you are doing today has eternal value. And when that day comes, the day of the Lord, you're going to have an honored position. You're going to be remembered for the work that you have done. I love what he, what he says here. Again, and don't miss this. Verse 23, In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant. Zerubbabel could have thought, boy, I, what am I? I'm a, I'm a governor over an oppressed group of this ragtag team of unfaithful servants, you know. Who am I? This temple is never going to be Solomon's temple. It's never, I'm never going to, I mean, the average person, probably if you were to ask them who is Zerubbabel, they would have no idea. Probably a lot of Christians, a lot of church members, if you were to just randomly go up to them and say, who's the rebel? They'd say, I don't know. I've never heard of them. 
But you know what? One of the main themes that we've seen here in this book is that God doesn't see as man sees. Because God looked at Zerubbabel and he said, you're my servant. And when that day comes, when the day of the Lord comes, when I set up my kingdom, I want you to know that I have a place and a position of honor for you. He said, I'll, I'll make you as a, as a signet or a seal or a, a ring. I, I'm going to give you a position of, of honor because you've been faithful. There was going to come a day for him when the, the difficulty and the, maybe the meagerness of the work that he was involved in would be a thing of the past and it would be replaced by a legacy of faithfulness to the Lord. Folks, we ought to never despise the day of small things. Because if we're faithful in that which is least, I want you to know that there is eternal value and reward that awaits us. This is what the Lord was encouraging Zerubbabel. You may think that the work that you're doing today is really not all that significant and you're really not building a reputation for yourself here on this side of heaven, but you are building a reputation for the Lord and as my servant on the other side, you will find that you'll have a reputation of faithfulness. You know, there's a, a theme that we, we find throughout Scripture and that is that the, the, the work that we do here on earth for, for the things of this world that are temporal, uh, it doesn't last. You can, you can build an empire, but one day you're going to die and you're not going to take it with you. You can make all the money in the world and one day you're going to die and you're going to be no different than the poorest person that ever lived because you can't take it with you. And you can live your life saving up treasures here on earth and, and working to build up wealth or, or reputation or, or legacy or whatever it is here. But when you die, all of that is gone. However, there are things that we can do that have eternal value. There are things that we can bring into eternity with us. And a, a life of faithfulness and a testimony of faithfulness and obedience to the Lord is something that will last. 1 John chapter 2 Verse 17 says, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now there's two aspects to that. The first is, if you do the will of God in regard to your soul and your salvation, you will have eternal life. It is the will of God that every person would be saved. He would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And it is God's will for you to be saved, to be a child of God. That is His will for your life. And I can say that on the authority of Scripture. This whole idea that God elects some to go to heaven and some to go to hell is heresy. Because it is the will of God that all men would be saved. If you will do the will of God and receive Christ as your Savior, you will abide forever in the sense that you will have eternal life and dwell with Him for all of eternity. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. But there's an aspect of this as well in which if we will do the will of God and serve God according to His will, the work that we do will abide and remain. You remember that, the, that we're told over in, in Corinthians about the... Uh, the works that we do on this earth and how they'll be tried by fire one day. 
and the gold and the silver and the precious stones that will be tried by fire, those don't get consumed in the fire. Those remain, but the wood and the hay and the stubble, that all gets burned up. The things that we do here on, uh, uh, for this earth, just for today, just, just for this lifetime, folks, they're, they're not going to last. And one day you're going to die and it's going to be gone. But if you will do the will of God and be faithful to serve the Lord in the place that he has put you, you can know that your labor will last for eternity. And this is what the Lord is telling Zerubbabel. Hey, what you're doing here, it, you're leaving a lasting legacy. Something that even once this life is over, you're going to be remembered by me because of your faithfulness, because of your obedience, because you've been my servant. Over in Matthew chapter 26... In fact, let's turn over there. We'll go to the New Testament here, Matthew 26. And I want you to, I want to read this with you. Matthew 26, verse number 6, it says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? Boy, that's a pretty terrible thing, isn't it? To, to say that something that was given to the Lord is a waste. <laughs> you never waste something on the Lord. It says in verse number 9, For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For, the poor, for ye have the poor always with you, but me have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, listen to this, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. <laughs> you know what? The, the disciples looked at what this woman did and she... She poured out this costly, expensive ointment on the Lord, and they said, oh, what a waste. And Jesus said, no, no, this was an eternal sacrifice. This was an eternal work that she did. In fact, everywhere that the gospel is preached in the whole world, they're going to hear about this woman. Now, here's something maybe you haven't considered. Here we are in a totally different part of the world today couple thousand years later. And the gospel, praise the Lord, has been preached here. That's why we're here. We've been saved by the grace of God. I'm thankful that the gospel came to us. But you know what came to us along with the gospel, along with the word of God, was the story of a woman. We don't even have her name recorded here. But the story of a woman who gave of herself to the Lord. And the Lord promised that wherever the gospel would be preached, here we are, 2,000 years later, talking about her. What she did had eternal value. What Zerubbabel did had eternal value. I'm just saying there are people in Scripture that they weren't wealthy and they weren't well-known. And even today, they may not be well-known, but the work that they did, we still talk about it today. The widow woman that cast in two mites which make a farthing. We don't know her name. We don't know where she was from. We don't know what she looked like, but we know what she did, don't we? She obeyed the Lord and her faithfulness abides to this day. And I just want you to know, friend, no matter what you are doing in service to the Lord, no matter how difficult it may seem, no matter how discouraged you might get 
no matter how little or small or insignificant it may seem to you, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Stay faithful. Do what he has called you to do. In the big things as well as in the little things. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And God doesn't only care about the the big things that everyone sees, but God cares about the little things in your life. Stay faithful to do what God has called you to do. At times it may seem as though you're making little difference, but not in the Lord, because your labor is not in vain in the Lord, and there is a better day coming. Parents, stay faithful in the work of raising your children. You know, in, in we understand from a high-level view that raising children is a very important job, but sometimes in the day-to-day business of raising children, moms, hear me, it might seem like your work is insignificant. The diapers that you change and the meals that you cook and the laundry that you do and the school that you teach and the, all those little things... That you think, what am I even doing? What's the point of this? I just, there's eternal value in that. Stay faithful. Do what God has called you to do. Husbands, wives, stay faithful in your relationship with your spouse. Christians, stay faithful in your witness. Stay faithful in praying for those lost friends and family that you've been praying for for years. And maybe it seems as though you're making very little difference. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Sunday school teachers, stay faithful. Those, maybe you teach small children and you think, boy, I don't know that anything's getting through here. Or maybe you drive a van and you pick up kids. Or maybe you serve in some different capacity in the church. And you say, it's just not making a big difference. No, just stay faithful in what God has called you to do. And you'll find there's eternal